Happy Thursday, everyone. You know what it is. It's Pop Culture Mondays on Thursdays, and I'm your host, Brooke Hammerling. Pop Culture Mondays on Thursdays. Hello, guys. It's just me again. I am going to get the more interviews or not interviews. Let's not call them interviews, conversations. But the world's just gone mad. And as I've written about in the newsletter, it seems like everyone's checked out really early. I think it's the just the state of the world, the division of everyone, the year we've had economically, the strikes, whether it's the writer's strikes, the actor's strikes, the auto union strikes, 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 politics you know, hate, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia. It's just like, for fuck's sakes, everyone's going to the Caribbean right now. So Godspeed, going to Florida, going to Hawaii, going skiing. I am doing none of those things. I am staying in Los Angeles and having a really low-key December, and I'm very excited about it. Though, David, I'm looking at my producer. I did something that apparently is more popular than I knew. I I never thought I would become one of these people. But guys, if you've had this, I need to hear from you because I can't believe I've become this person. So it was like two weeks ago. I was getting ready to fly to DC. I was just in DC. We'll talk about that. I was like looking at my flight on my Delta app and I'm a Delta junkie, Delta and JetBlue. Those are my jam, but I'm a Delta junkie and I made Delta diamond status last year. And for those of you who don't travel a lot, status is a big thing. And it's a big thing for a variety of reasons. It's not ego in any way. I don't give a fuck about like being put on the plane first. I have no, I don't really understand the, the need of that. I guess if you have a bag and you don't want to lose overhead baggage thing, that's the reason. But other than that, I couldn't care less. I don't need to be the first online. I don't need people to be like, look at her. She's Delta premiums to Supreme. I don't need that. It's the greatness is that upgrades so I can buy a regular class flight and almost be guaranteed an upgrade uh, depending on my my flight path. The amount of miles you get per dollar you spend. So you just, just get so many miles. I have over a million. I have 1.3 million miles on Delta. That means I can just like, I want to go to Tokyo. I don't have to pay. I can just go to Tokyo. It's pretty cool. And you just get a lot of perks like travel perks and things like that. There's just lots of amenities. The lounges now. Delta has change. So anyway, I looked at my app and I realized I was going to get booted back down to platinum. And I was very, I was very distressed by that. And when I saw that there are two different qualifiers, they're changing the whole mileage thing. It doesn't matter. It's so boring, but I needed to qualify in like dollars spent, not miles. I'd already reached my mileage, but I just to spend dollars. And I had all this money like in like for Delta bank or something. So it was just a matter of where I was going to fly to, to make it to that amount of money. And so I was like, well, maybe I'll go right somewhere. So I'll go to Hawaii. I'll go to the Caribbean, but you know what? Everybody's going to Hawaii and everybody's going to the Caribbean. Um, and so like, there was no place for me to stay that wasn't preposterously expensive, making it just ridiculous. Like I didn't even want to go away the 27th to the 31st or something. You have to fly in December before the end of the year. So I am now going to Sarasota, Florida to visit family for three nights on the most preposterously expensive flight to Florida. That is also like 
11 hours long because in order to make it preposterously expensive, in order to make my qualifiers, I have to fly like a ridiculous route. Like I'm basically flying north to go south to go, I'm going west to go east to north. It doesn't even matter. Like I, it's, it's, it's hilarious. And that's what I'm doing. I am going to glamorous Sarasota, Florida via like Detroit in St. Louis. I'm not even joking, guys to Sarasota, to where I will be seeing my family for, I think, approximately 70 hours before I then fly back in time for not even, I don't even care about New Year's Eve at this point. I just have to fly on New Year's Eve. Like I have to be back before the first. So that's what I'm doing. I have become one of those status junkie chasers. Anyway, I brought this conversation up when I was in DC at a birthday dinner and these guys were like, oh my God, we're doing the same thing. We're literally doing the same thing. They were going to Santa Fe via like from DC, I think it was like to North Carolina up to Michigan down to Santa Fe. Like it made no sense. I don't even understand, but there seemed to be more of us than I, I originally anticipated. So if you're a mileage junkie or you want to be, hit me up, let me know. I want to hear all about it because I am new to this world and I'm sort of ashamed, but I'm also sort of proud. I feel like, I feel like I'm doing the right choice economically, even though I'm spending stupid money. So it doesn't make any sense. I, I'm not making any sense, but that is what I am doing for the holidays besides having a beautiful Christmas with friends here in Los Angeles. I was in DC this past weekend and I will say DC is a strange town. I like it because architecturally I love parts of DC. I just think it's so beautiful. I, there's a part of me that just melts when I see Georgetown and the cobblestone streets and those houses and the brick and the shutters. And I just, I love that stylistically. I love that vibe. I hate the cold. I hate the gray. I hate the misty, dark gray. Unless you're in like England or Ireland, it just doesn't work for me. I love DC though, in terms of the layout of the city, how much open space there is, that all of the monuments and it's just beautiful. It's a really beautiful city. It's along the river. It just, I love that vibe. But in terms of like, it is really, I cannot imagine living in DC if you didn't work in politics. Whereas living in LA, I'm sure it was like that at one point. I'm not too far in the past. It was an industry town. You did not live here unless you were in Hollywood, but it is not like that now. But DC, man, it is the inner workings of the people, the things that they know. Like, I don't ever want to talk about politics again. After, I don't know, 48 hours there, I don't want to talk. Like, they know every name of every lobbyist, of every like congressional person, Congress people, state senators, like the whole thing is preposterous to me. Like they know what their shoe size is. They know everything. And I, I just couldn't care less. Like I was like, let's talk about George Santos and Cameo. And th that was so beneath them. They're like, yeah, no, we're talking about real legislation. Da, 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 da. I was like, wake me up before you go, go. But um, I was there to celebrate Miss Swisher's birthday, Kara's birthday. And that was really delightful. But <laughs> this gets into the heart of the beast of the newsletter. She let me come to the taping of her show that she does on CNN. Believe it or not, if you didn't know, Kara has a show. Kara is a regular on Chris Wallace's weekend show on CNN. And it is, so Chris Wallace is Mike Wallace's son. I grew up with Mike Wallace. Like Chris Wallace seems older 
and more out of the zeitgeist than his father ever did to me. Like his dad seemed to me like, I don't know, he's always hip on the things, but Mike is like old ahead of his time, but he's also an older man. (sighs) How do I explain this? So this show, I just don't know how these shows work. I'm very happy for people to, to have a lot of opinions and to sit around in a semicircle and, and chat. I don't know if that's what I want to watch on a weekend, um, but to each their own. I got to see the taping. I can tell you, and I'm not saying this because she's my friend, there's just this unbelievable magnetism to Kara on television. Like she's so comfortable. She's so, you don't feel that she's playing a part or uh, having a script in her head. She's just, she's so perfect for TV. It's incredible. Like I was just, I was not sure of it, um, what I was going to get, but she was so good. And the other panelists were lovely people, but it's just sort of like, you know, semicircle Mike asked the questions or is it Mike Wallace? No, it's Chris Wallace. Chris Wallace asked the questions and then they each sort of form their opinions and say it. And Kara's really good. But guys, as a pop culture aficionado, again, it's not my career, but I love writing about it. I love bringing it to the sort of zeitgeist of what's happening because it does play into all of our fields, all of our professions sort of will be impacted by knowing what's going on in the pop culture world. But to see political people, like real real professional political people and journalists talk about pop culture, it gives me the ick so much. Like I have the ick. Like you know when you get the ick with a guy and you're like, you can't even hear them breathe or like the the mere sound of them speaking or sneezing makes you so fucking annoyed. That's how I felt in this moment, listening to these like seasoned political experts weigh in on things like Riz, the term Riz and talking about it. I mean, literally I got the ick. I, I couldn't even. And then Taylor Swift. And I'm all for older people being into Taylor Swift, all generations. I love that. But when you start weighing in on the like political ramifications of Taylor's influence or whatnot from a pop culture and political perspective, it it just, and you're turning a whole show around it. I literally, it was the biggest cringe for me, but here's where it got messy. Chris Wallace, I can't, I'm always going to call him Mike Wallace. Chris Wallace, as with several other older white men, and even Kara's podcasting partner, Scott Galloway, falls into this. The demon child himself, Stephen Miller, falls into this. These men are so triggered by Taylor Swift. They are triggered by her. I, I can't explain it, but they are triggered by her success. And so like the, the other mentioned men, Chris Wallace really couldn't get his head wrapped around why Time Magazine named her the person of the year. They can't figure it out. And Chris's angle, because he knew others had taken the Taylor didn't deserve it sort of approach, wasn't as much as this was Taylor's miss, like sort of pulling the wool over people's eyes and more like how cynical of him to think it was time's decision to make a marketing ploy and get clicks and so forth. By the way, isn't that the job of magazines cover stories? Isn't it to get people's attention? I mean, in, in the history of magazines, that's what the attention is, is like, we are going to be sensationalistic and we want as many people to be reading this as possible. But of course, it's an absurd thing to, to even question why Taylor Swift was the person of the year. I mean, there are lots of other people that could have been sure, but her influence has been incredible from the economy, even 
discussed by, you know, the leaders of the economy. Um, politically, she got 35,000 people signed up within an hour, I think, of putting it on on her Instagram story, not even the grid. I mean, she has a huge impact. She's literally brought in billions of dollars to the economy. She brought generations together. She got the NFL. I mean, it's just an unbelievable thing. But this is where things get tricky. Chris Wallace says, and I don't think they edited it. I don't think anybody was paying attention when it did come out. But he said when he was talking about Time's person of the year, he said, well, Time magazine, it was the man of the year all the way up until 1999 when Time went woke and made it person of the year. At which point I'm in the green room, I started bashing my head on the table. And thankfully, this Republican participant in the in the panel, a, a, a woman, um, said, uh, e- uh, I don't think that's what woke is. Like, I don't think it was woke that Time magazine moved it from being man of the year to person of the year. I don't think Chris was sort of aware of what he was saying, I don't know. It just was so cringe. I couldn't take it anymore. So I lost my, um, I lost my cool. I just wanted to get out of the building. Nobody wanted me in there. Nobody at CNN wanted me in there. Uh, I, I was like exit out stage left. I, um, it's not for me. I don't want to hear those people talking about pop culture, just like you guys don't want me sitting here day in and day out talking about politics. It's like, I know we touch on it and it's probably cringe. I, I don't know. Kara handled it beautifully, I will say. But Kara is in pop culture more than any of the other people. So she has the absolute authority to do so. And she schooled Chris Wallace on Taylor and it was beautiful to see. But that being said, I was very happy to come back to LA to my people, to my people. But Taylor was named person of the year. That was the big focus of the newsletter. Um, there was a lot of hot takes on it. As I mentioned, a lot of, uh, particularly the older white male section of the population really could not deal with it, couldn't handle it, really up in arms about it. I, for one, celebrated it, think it's great. Whether it was a Swifty or not, there is no denying her influence and power this past year. There was a lot of controversy about the photos. A lot of people didn't like them. Everybody's a critic. Everyone. I thought the photos were great. I may be completely wrong, but to me, they were like different eras, not Taylor eras, but just eras. There was like the seventies photo with her and the cat and the leotard is very sort of like, I don't know, Broadway, the cat around her neck. I have a picture. It's reminiscent of this book cover with a, with an artist with a cat around his neck. That cat is Benjamin Button. I'm telling you the rag, rag doll cats are probably flying off the shelves of breeders all around the world at this point. Not many cats can you get to sort of do what you want to do, but floppy ragdoll cats really will do what you want them to do. They are scarves. They will be whatever. They'll be your pillow. Um, then there was that, like, she looked like Carol Alt to me, that picture, Brooke Shields, like from the 80s, the ones with her and the, like, she's wearing like the three layers and with a barn jacket on the top. And she's just very 80s to me. That looked like fresh farm girl, Brooke Shields, Carol Alt, 80s vibes. And then the other sort of like pinup ones could be 50s, 60s, Taylor. That was my interpretation. What do I know? But I loved them. I thought they're great. I thought they were really interesting and not photoshopped. I don't know. It was just really cool to see. I I fully subscribe to it. 
I do recommend not just reading clips that you see on social media, but read the entire article. It's pretty interesting. I mean, she's, she's really clever. She's also sort of nerdy. Uh, she definitely addresses the relationship with Travis Kelsey. She made some sort of quote, like along the lines of, we are not insane enough to hard launch relationship at a football game. So much to many of our sort of hunches, she she made clear that their relationship had been going on for some time prior to the the time the public became aware. And I'm glad they got some private time, but she also talked about they are public people and they, in order to support each other, they're going to be public. In order to do that, they are well aware of their impact. I think they're going the distance, guys. I think they're going to get married. I think they're going to have babies. I, you know, hope that they end up happily ever after forever. But for right now, I'm giving it um, two thumbs up. She also did a very, very long game revenge plot. And I tell you, I still, at almost 50 years old, had dreams of like doing an interview. Uh, I remember back when I was in college, I would dream that I would do an interview with David Letterman or something and just get back at this like one girl who'd been mean to me or this one boy who broke my heart. Like I, I could not see any other way other than a massive public forum where I would use my platform in that way to gain my revenge. At 30 years later, maybe from, I still think about it. I still think about, and I still do it. I actually incorporate some of these stories into my newsletter. Certainly not a platform like David Letterman or whomever would be doing the interview, but man, it feels good to be able to say something I've been holding on to for 30 years. So you had Taylor was able to do that in this particular setting where she addressed her, you know, experience with the back to the Kanye and Kim Kardashian. She says her name, full name. I love it. Not Kim, not Kanye's wife, Kim Kardashian. And, um, she let loose the Swifties on Kim. She knew exactly what she was doing. Is Kim Kardashian going to respond to Taylor Swift's Time Magazine interview? Taylor was named person of the year and she did not hold back when calling out people who did her wrong. Kim Kardashian and Kanye West included. Taylor felt the situation with Kim and Kanye was a career death. She says, make no mistake, my career was taken away from me. You have a fully manufactured frame job in an illegally recorded phone call, which Kim Kardashian edited and then put out to say to everyone that I was a liar. That took me down psychologically to a place I've never been before. I moved to a foreign country. I didn't leave a rental house for a year. I was afraid to get on phone calls. I pushed away most people in my life because I didn't trust anyone anymore. I went down really, really hard. Taylor says she thought that moment of backlash was going to define her negatively for the rest of her life. She also later in the article talked about, you know, trash always has a way of getting itself taken out. It certainly seemed like it was in connection to a number of people she talked about, not just Kim Kardashian and Kanye, but also Scooter Braun and others. But you know, she knew what she was doing and she did it. And, um, you know, I think some people reached out to me and said, but don't you see there's going to be like, don't you see Taylor and Kim making some sort of public, you know, camaraderie of togetherness and they have a picture of them together? You know, who knows? It's possible. It is entirely possible that happens. But for the most part, uh, it's probably been a brutal week for Kim Kardashian in terms of social media. All of the uh, comments on Kim Kardashian's Instagrams recently are all Swifties, just like flooded flooded them. Like, how dare you? You did Taylor dirty. You owe Taylor an apology. The snake emoji comes up 
quite a bit. And it's it's an interesting thing. I mean, she accuses Kim Kardashian of editing that very famous recorded phone call, illegally recorded phone call, where Kanye and Kim claimed that not only did Taylor know that that lyric and that profane sort of lyric about sleeping, Kanye sleeping with Taylor and making that bitch famous that she knew about, but that she was totally on board with the campaign around it. Um, she claims that that's not at all what happened and that call was edited. She then claims that she thought her career was over. She was absolutely devastated. She lost trust in everyone. She moved to a foreign country, didn't leave her house for a year, wouldn't have phone calls, didn't trust anyone, had a very small, small world. Now we know where that's happened. So maybe, though, if you look at it, um, maybe she has Kim and Kanye, which is so hard for me to say, but maybe she has them to thank because, man, revenge. She has had a bananas number of years. She was very unpopular for a period of time and she turned it around. So she is a person of the year. I think deservedly so. My only problem with these things is like Icarus. You get too close to the sun. How far do you fall? So I hope Taylor can take this and this extreme fame and sort of dial it back a little bit each and every year to where she can have a bit of normalcy and not so many expectations put on her. But we shall see. I'm not going to get into the political stuff. I know a lot of people have, have pinged me about her and Selena's support of a pro-Gaza rally. I'm not going to talk about it. We don't know the facts. And I am a firm believer of people standing up for what they believe in. And as long as it's not filled with hate, that's what I care about. Don't wish hate or or harm on people. That's That's what we should all be standing for. I got to make this quick because I do have to go to... That's a busy day, guys. But another thing I talked about, a lot of people have been talking about this movie... Leave the World Behind, which I believe is the number one movie now on Netflix. It's an apocalyptic drama. And I mean, it's it's something. It's starring Julia Roberts, Mahershala Ali, Ethan Hawke. Kevin Bacon makes a little appearance there. And then an incredible, their children in the movie are phenomenal. So the kids of both people are just incredible. I saw the reactions to this movie on TikTok before I saw the movie. And many of the reactions were like, I fucking hated this movie. It was the worst thing. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I was like, what? This cast? Then I started seeing reactions like the people who are saying they hated it misunderstood it. They didn't give it a chance. They weren't looking at it for what it was. And you have to give it a chance. So I didn't want to write about it until I went and watched it. Holy guys, holy smokes. I had nightmares all night last night. I have to say it is, it is a hard movie. It is a, in my opinion, a spectacular film. I really thought it was incredible. It is not a satisfying film in that regard, in that as, as humans, we are, we love, I'm a procedural drama girl. I love a procedural drama because I like a beginning, a middle and end. I like it all tied up at the end. I like a conclusion. That person goes to jail or doesn't go to jail. Like I like a conclusion. That's all I'm going to say about this movie. You will not like that aspect of it, but it is an incredible, there's so many things you, you have to watch it. I think a couple times to sort of have this understanding of what's happening. It is a, it is a look at where we are as a society and our reliance on technology. It is a look at us as society and our reliance on content and entertainment and pop culture. It is a look at us as society and our sort of struggle with losing control and not really being in control, whether it's with 
you know, relying on GPS, relying on autopilot, on cars. Just we live in autopilot. Everybody on my timeline talking about this movie right now. And I'm not going to lie, the ending did kind of blow me. But at the same time, I did catch the message that a lot of people aren't talking about. Everybody's talking about they're warning us. They're trying to tell us something. We're in a generation where parasocial relationships are real. We're in a generation where the consumer only wants to consume entertainment in any way, shape, or form right now. It's so much going on in the world right now today. It's so much chaos. But most people are so blind to it. Why? Because they rather binge watch. And that binge watch does something to your mind. And they're trying to tell you that. You care about how a streamer lives. You care about what's going to happen on the next episode. More than you care about what's going on in your own household. The whole movie pretty much was trying to tell us sometimes we need to unplug. We need to disconnect. Because if we don't have technology sometimes, since we're so plugged in 24-7, we would not be able to operate without it. For most people, they're going to focus on everything about that movie that's saying the world is ending instead of realizing that the movie is telling us we need to stop consuming so much. We need to disconnect and unplug. We need to go outside and touch some grass. We need to be in the loop and build relationships outside of the internet. It's a really interesting take on society. It's a, I cannot recommend this film enough. It is adapted from a a novel that came out in 2020 by, I'm I'm probably saying the name wrong, Rumin Alam, Leave the World Behind. This movie is produced by Higher Ground Productions, which was founded by Barack and Michelle Obama. So like, how about them apples? What a cast that they got. I mean, incredible, 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 incredible. I think Kevin Bacon played Kevin Bacon. Like it looked like Kevin Bacon had just rolled in with what Kevin Bacon would normally wear, like in his Kent, Connecticut setting. Anyway, the funniest thing is that Elon Musk, AKA Space Karen, gets very upset. There is a scene in the movie that involves Tesla's. <laughs> And I don't think it's, you know, it's not really a take on Tesla. It's just a take on sort of like the whole society of where we're at. But he believed that he was, in his mind, he didn't watch the movie. So he was trying to say that even if the grid goes down, the cars can charge from solar panels, even if it's like full on Mad Max. But that wasn't the point of what was going on. It had nothing to do with not being able to charge. You see, that's why I don't fuck with Tesla cars and I don't even much fucking drive. Like the fact that they're tripping during this whole cyber attack apocalypse is where you got me fucked up. Like imagine running for your life and then all of a sudden you got all these Tesla cars just running you the fuck over. So you have to watch it. Elon should not weigh in on things unless he has all the facts. Just like I didn't weigh in on this movie yesterday when I wrote the newsletter. Today's Tuesday when I'm recording this because I hadn't seen it. I can't give an opinion on it. So he's super sensitive about the Tesla scene. Um, It's more about the autopilot part, guys. That's what it is. But watch this movie. Tell me what you think. I want to hear. I guarantee a lot of you will not like this. It's very unsatisfying. The acting is incredible. The setting, the cinematography, I, I just loved everything about it. I was utterly terrified. And the way this movie end left me completely and utterly terrified. So I'm just going to say that. There's so much more. I'm skipping over everything, but you guys have places to go and 
vacations to get to. So let's, let's wrap this up. I'm going to do a quick little make out Mary and mute. I am fully, so I also watched, by the way, something I haven't talked about, the May-December film um, that is stars Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman. Holy moly. I mean, that, I had no idea going in, shows how much research I did. It was about the Mary Kay Latorno situation, and it's, it's done by Todd Haynes. I thought it was an interesting movie. I can't say I loved it. I think it was it was challenging. I did love that other movie, though, guys, The Holdovers with Paul Giamatti. Flawless film. Indeed, like you will be crying start to finish. I loved that movie. I loved it. I loved it. I did not love May, De- May December, but you know what I did love is Charles Melton. Holy, he is adorable. He was an incredible actor. I guess he's on Riverdale. He plays Reggie. Never saw the show, so it's not my world. I think this is probably his biggest role, and he's been nominated for a Golden Globe. I think he's a breakout star, and he was spectacular. I want to make out with him. I want to make out with him. I would like to marry Kevin Bacon in this other film because I just want to be with a survivalist for sure. I want to be with the man who's sort of thinking all about like now that I think that we're heading towards a complete apocalypse, like I want the guy who has stocked up on 10,000 things of antibiotics. That's what I want. So Kevin Bacon as a survivalist, I am subscribing to that. And I want to mute all of the, the, I want to mute the Harvard president. I do. I just, I, I'm so sick of all of this and everybody trying to get her fired and then the people defending her and then the people making it about themselves. Like, I just want to mute all of them. I, I want to move on. I just don't try to get your kid into Harvard. It's not what it used to be. That's all I have to say about that. And that's it. I, I have a lot of thoughts in my brain, but thank you. I adore you. We will see you next week. And then we're going to be on hiatus because nobody wants to listen to me during Christmas and New Year's. And plus, I'm going to be doing my mileage haul across the country to get to super fantastic Sarasota, Florida. Um, but thank you. And I will talk to you guys next week. But do hit me up in the, uh, in the, on the Twitter or on the threads or on the Instagram about um, any of your thoughts on today's podcast. And I hope you guys have a magical Thursday and rest of your week. Pop culture.